0: For those of you who are wondering, we will stop at 11 and uh, take a moment of silence. Uh, I've got a couple people with alarms to remind me if I get preaching. If you would uh, open up your Bible to Mark chapter seven. We've been doing a series on healing and the gospel of the kingdom. And as I shared last week, we want to actually do a biblical basis for healing. Why do we believe God for healing? I shared last week the Bible is God's revelation of who he is and his purpose. It's what he says about himself, not what we think he should be like, not what we'd like him to be like, not what other people say he should be like, but what he actually says he is like. And so what he says about himself carries a whole lot more weight than what we would like. But you know, there's things that nullify the authority of the word. This is kind of my introduction until we get into healing, because I just want to lay the foundation here. Three things that nullify the word of God. The first is tradition. Mark 7, 13, Jesus says that uh, you making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. How do you make the word of God of no effect? Because we choose tradition over what God says. We choose what we've been told or what we believed. And sometimes we don't know why we believe what we believe. We've just been told that. Sometimes we've had a, someone that we, we respect tell us something and we just assume that was right. You've all heard the story of the, the woman who was preparing a roast and uh, she got the roast out and she would cut the ends of the roast off and her little daughter said, mommy, why do you cut the end of the roast off? She said, because my mom did that. And uh, so she called her mom and said, mom, why do we cut the end of the roast off before we cook it? She said, because my mom did that. So she called her grandmother, the gal called her grandmother and said, Grandma, why do we cut the end of the roast off before we do it? She said, because my pan was too small for the roast to fit in. (laughs) (laughs) So we do something often out of tradition. But often we have beliefs. The second thing that nullifies the word of God is philosophy. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 Verse 4 says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you, that word actually is plunder you or take you captive, through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to the Christ. The basic belief of philosophy is that we can know truth through human reasoning. Human reasoning becomes supreme. And so our reasoning takes the place of the authority of the word. Sometimes it actually starts with the word, but it's like, if this is true, then this is true, then this is true, then this must also be true. But the problem is, we can come to a conclusion that isn't supported by the Bible at all. We can make certain reasonable, logical conclusions that aren't aren't the Bible, I was talking to a guy a while back who was telling me that uh, in Matthew 18 where it says that wherever two or three are present, God's there, his presence. And so he was basically saying, that's the church because God's present. And then he went on to say, but the Bible also says that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, so God's present in me, so therefore, I'm the church. Which makes good logic. But the problem is that the word church means a gathering of believers. It's plural. There's 41 and others in the New Testament that requires us to minister, to teach, to care for, to love one another. So by definition of the word, I can't myself be the church. But by definition of logic, I can. Still with me? Good. That'll come in later. Third, uh, third thing that nullifies the word is our preference. Romans 1, from 21, from Romans 1, it says, Because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor, but, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Why did they do that? Because they actually preferred their sin and their lifestyle to the authority of the word. Our preference can nullify the word. I see that, but I don't actually like it. I'd rather do this. Don't tell me what the Bible says. then I'd have to do it. Now, when you actually understand the bigger picture of the evidence for creation as opposed to evolution, you realize that the presupposition of most evolutionists is that there is no supernatural, and so they want evolution to be true, not because of the evidence, but because the consequence of if it really is creation, then there is somebody behind creation. And they don't want to deal with that, so they have this presupposition that there is no supernatural. And so evolution makes good logic if you start with that presupposition. But the evidence is totally for creation. We'll get to that someday. That's not what we're talking about today. We finished up last week uh, with one point that God has revealed himself as a healer. I'm the God who heals. We're going to move on from there. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that, you'll have to listen. The point I want to make today is that healing is one of the supernatural expressions that show that God is real. Now, I really wish I could do this whole series at one time and take four or five hours, but I can't, so I have to break it up in little pieces, which means that, there's a lot that I don't get to say today that I will later on. But if I leave you with questions, please come talk to me because I might mess up something. Supernatural expressions that God is real. Healing is one of those. There's many. It's not limited to healing. Anything that God does that's supernatural is an expression of he, that he is real. If you look at the Exodus, the uh, the, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt and all the plagues, the supernatural things that God did and then they're coming out and God cr- opening the, the Red Sea, providing man in the wilderness. All those are supernatural things that demonstrates the reality of God. You still with me? In Exodus, chapter 34, who's doing the... Uh, The overhead's behind me today, Christy. Christy's always faster than I am. So you're going to find it up there before I get to it. Chapter 34 and verse 10, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels or wonders, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. I believe that's still God's heart. As wonderful as you are, and you are wonderful, your goodness is not the evidence of the existence of God. It's part of it because we've been changed and transformed. But when he does something supernatural it breaks through people's arguments. So not only do we see that in the Father, but we see it in the Son. And here's what I want to focus on. I'm going to give you a number of scriptures this morning. Because I want your foundation to be in the Word of God and not in me or my experience. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of sight to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. This is considered messianic about the Messiah, but if you question that, all you have to do is look at Luke chapter 4, where Jesus, one of the first things he preaches is he goes in in Nazareth on the Sabbath, uh, verse 16 of chapter 4 came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book, he found this place. They didn't give it to him. He actually went to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the tenant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I'm the Messiah these are the things we'd expect the Messiah to do, which it was the preface to his healing. But over in chapter seven, from verse, uh, from verse 18, the story is that John sends his disciples to Jesus. Uh, you know, John had seen Jesus. He had said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he ended up in prison, and Jesus didn't actually do what he thought he was going to do. He thought he was going to come and overthrow the political system, and he didn't do that. So John's sitting in prison, questioning, and he sends his disciples, and he says to them, uh, sent them to Jesus, saying, are you the coming one, or is there another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to him, and blessed are you who's not offended because of me. It's basically saying, this is the evidence that I'm the Messiah. It is still the evidence. This scripture here was actually a fulfillment of a messianic promise in Isaiah 35, verse five and six. It says, and the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the, the tongue of the dumb will sing." For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. The supernatural shows that God's real. The supernatural showed that Jesus was actually the Messiah. Stay with me. But it also showed that he was the king of the kingdom. Matthew chapter four and verse 23. Jesus begins his ministry after being in the wilderness. And he says, first thing he said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes into the synagogue. But it says in verse 23, when about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. There's something associated with healing and the preaching of the kingdom. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, if you've missed it. One more with me. Luke chapter 10. He sends out his disciples, uh, 70 and verse nine he says, and heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near you. The evidence that the kingdom of God is here is the supernatural. Now, supernatural means a whole lot of things. We're talking specifically about healing, but it means transformation. It means redemption. It means lives that are are redeemed from destruction. It means a whole lot of things. We're talking specifically about healing, but I don't want to get too sidetracked with that. Just a reminder, the kingdom is the rule of the king. Right? You know that. But basically, we can say from these, where the kingdom is, there's healing. Where the kingdom is, there's healing. But we have to realize Jesus is the one who heals. Okay, back to that human reasoning I talked about earlier. I was talking with a guy who told me this same human reasoning. If healing is where the kingdom of God is, and the Bible says the kingdom of God is in me, then healing is in me, therefore I can heal. Good logic, huh? It's new age. It's not Bible, but it's good logic. See, the reality is that Healing is where the kingdom is because the kingdom is determined by the king. He's the healer. The kingdom has a king and I'm not him. What does that mean? I want to break it to you. You can't heal anyone. But the king, by his presence... Confirming the gospel of the kingdom can and still does. He's still with me. Time. Can we just stand? As most of you are aware, this is Remembrance Day, it's focused on the uh, end of the First World War. Remembering those who sacrificed, but there's been many, not only for us as a nation, but all of us stand on the shoulders of others who've gone before us. So, in keeping with just that recognition, we're going to take a moment of just silence. Just one minute. Well, we just realized that the privilege that we have, the benefits we have, are often because of others' sacrifice. Father, not only where we live physically, but spiritually as well, that others have gone before. And so, Lord, we just stand grateful for the sacrifice of others, grateful for what you are doing in this land. Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Most of you are aware that the idea of a minute of silence is that we can reflect. And there's a lot to reflect on. So, even though technically this time. Is connected to the ending of the first world war a hundred years ago and had a huge effect upon this nation uh, but it's important for us I think, often to take time to slow down and reflect on the benefits that we have. The greatest obviously you know the greatest benefit is that we have God's riches at Christ's expense grace that Jesus actually sacrificed for us but that was the beginning of much sacrifice spiritually throughout the the centuries okay back to healing actually before I do Lance was going to share a testimony and I totally forgot about it. No, you can do it now.
1: I actually thought I got the sack.
0: (laughs) No, just the poor member.
1: Some of you might be aware that the last um, month or so I've been really struggling um, at work. Most of you wouldn't be aware of that. Christine knows how much. Um, stress level's been up here. And things kept happening. Things kept going wrong. And my stress level would be up here. And I'd, I'd have tension headaches. Um, Christine was praying all the time. And each time she'd pray, it would lift. and Then something else would happen and it would come back. And it was a, a, a vicious cycle. So... Last public holiday, Monday um, Stress level was high You know, I had a weekend off And my stress level was still high, it wouldn't come down And so Christine and I was, was, Were sitting on the sofa We were just talking over a, a few things And, and I'm, I'm talking about you know, why, why are my emotions Like they are, because I'm normally Anyone who knows me, I'm pretty Cool, calm and collected and don't get Feathers ruffled too much But that wasn't the case in the last month um, I'd been everything but that, and that was a new experience for me. And so um, we took, Christine actually said this, well, let's take Russ's advice and pray about this. <laughs> she actually said that, because remember, you preached that on the Sunday, the day before. And, and so we prayed, and we just said, you know, we prayed, Holy Spirit, will you reveal what, what's behind all of this. Now, without Christine knowing, I'm praying internally to God And the Holy Spirit said to me so clearly, you've got uncried tears. Now, I've ministered to a lot of people, so I knew it was time to take my glasses off. And I sat them on the coffee table and I just sat back in the sofa. I didn't say a word to Christine, I just sat there. And the next minute, she starts praying in tongues because she didn't know how to pray. So she did what the Word of God said. She started praying in tongues. And my eyes just filled with tears. I wasn't feeling sad. they just filled with tears. And, and then she switched and she started singing in tongues. I was a blumbering mess. I'm leaning forward. My face is buried in my hands. I'm sobbing the deepest, deepest, deepest grief coming out of my system. And my beautiful little puppy who's six months old. She comes over. She starts licking my forehead. Right where the tension had been. I'm saying, God, you're amazing. And I don't know how long I was like that. Christine was just singing in tongues, just singing in tongues. And it just brought me undone. And when, when the tears stopped, because I was, I, was, I, was, I was making quite a mess and quite a noise, and, uh, and I just said, wow, oh, I, I feel better. But I didn't know what that really meant. So this coming week... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, has been the worst week. But I couldn't have cared less. I had zero stress all week. I had crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. It was like Jesus was saying, I've healed you and here's the proof. And what I want to say is I've been wearing a mask. Just like a lot of people sitting here. It's time we took them off and got real with each other and admitted that we need help, that we need people to pray for us. And that person happened to be my wife. But Jesus is the one who set me free. So this has been my breakthrough week, and this can be your breakthrough week too.
0: One of the things that is a privilege is that we can pray for one another. But there's another, sometimes the Holy Spirit just breaks in. And sometimes in the midst of preaching, God can just touch you. One of my favorite scriptures is in Acts where Cornelius's household and have sent and, and Peter's come and he's sharing and he gets to the point that talks about believing in Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls on them. why? Because something happened and they responded. And so, as we are just even talking about healing, in the midst of that, God can touch you, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve nine talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, sorry, chapter 12, but verse 4 says the manifestations of the Spirit, and then in, chapter, in verse 9, it actually says uh, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. There's manifestations. Now that word manifestation I love because the word manifestation means to make seen or known. To make something seen or known. What is it making seen or known? The Holy Spirit. Not us. The Holy Spirit. The supernatural is still evidence that God is real. So why should we expect God to heal? Or in other words, what are the grounds for healing? I'm going to give you three. One, because of who he is, his character and nature, he says he's a healer. But also, he's entered into covenant with us. He says everything he has becomes ours. So we can have an expectation of God's healing because of who he is. Healing is not outside of God's character. God doesn't make it bad for us. He actually loves us. Secondly, not only who he is, but what he's done. The atonement. Wonderful thing in that he destroys the works of the, of the devil. Changes the balance of authority on earth. Where Satan was still considered the ruler of this world, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Because of his obedience to the Father, he took back. But not only does he destroy the work of the enemy, he releases grace and redemption. What that means is it's not based on our merit or our holiness or whether we deserve it. Isn't that wonderful? Too often we think, if I do enough good things, then God might heal me. I've often heard people pray that way when praying for someone. Oh, God, Tim's such a wonderful guy. He loves you so much. He's so holy. He's so involved in ministry. He does all this. Surely you want to heal him. (laughs) But see, we almost think that we have to have enough credit on our side And the wonderful thing in the atonement is that he's done it all. Do you ever feel, okay, I would love God to touch me, but I don't deserve it. Every person he's ever touched in all of history didn't deserve it. (laughs) That hasn't stopped him. Isn't that wonderful? Thirdly, He's establishing his purpose, his kingdom. As we just said, supernatural confirmation. Mark sixteen twenty says that they went out preaching the gospel and God confirmed the message through signs and wonders. He's confirming the message. He's confirming who he is. Now what that doesn't mean is that he's not, con- it means he's not confirming who we are. The problem is that we've had so much of this stuff around our gifting and anointing that when, when God uses me and touches somebody, it's, it proves how wonderful my lifestyle is. And too often we've had leaders who've had that kind of mentality who end up in sin and they say, but God still is using me. Let me tell you, I don't care what you've done, God can still use you. But the fact that God uses you is not a justification of your sinless lifestyle. As my friend Lance once said, God uses imperfect people, He has no other choice. And He's gotten really good at it. So when someone says, ah, but God still uses me, that does not justify. Their lifestyle, it justifies the grace and the goodness of God good. that he still uses imperfect people. Yeah. So very quickly, because I don't want to have to do this next week. <laughs> What's the result of healing besides someone getting better? And the bigger picture, again, three things, confirms the message of the gospel. Jesus is real and alive. As I just said, not con- confirming the lifestyle of the minister. Two demonstrates the love of God, and three, the name of Jesus is magnified. Acts nineteen, and verse seventeen. Uh, This became known, it was a miracle, became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of Jesus was magnified. Verse 20 So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The name of Jesus is magnified. Acts 5 4 says they were increasingly added to the Lord. As a result, Luke 9 42. Is still in here. It says, And as he was still coming, the demons threw him down and convulsed him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that's your heart, that people are amazed at the majesty of God, that the name of Jesus is magnified. Not that our ministry is, gets exalted not that our name becomes known that we get famous but that Jesus is magnified I'm going to ask you to stand Tim you're going to come and lead us in something I have no idea what he didn't have no idea what if uh, the rest of the team can come those who are here we just want to take a moment why don't you stand with us we're going to finish in a worship and just understanding that it's the presence of Jesus that heals. We're going to get to that next week because that's one of the key ingredients. But uh, let's just give him a chance and just enjoy who he is. Okay? Okay?